In the name of God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Just a few weeks ago, the United States military announced that they had developed a brand new state-of-the-art version of their rather antiquated night vision goggles. The old version only allows soldiers to see rather dark, blurry human forms out there in the surrounding terrain. The new, updated version will allow them to see the same human forms, only now they'll appear outlined with bright yellow lines revealing their exact shape, their exact size, and just how far away they are. Pretty amazing technology, isn't it? Well, in today's Gospel, we're introduced to a man who had no night vision goggles, and yet he was still able to find his way to Jesus under the cover of darkness. His name is Nicodemus. To help place this nighttime visit in the proper context, the opening chapters of John's Gospel tell us what precedes this story. We hear about John the Baptist. We hear about Jesus' selection of his disciples. We hear about his miracle at a wedding in Cana where he turned water into wine. And we hear about his visit to the temple in Jerusalem where he made a whip out of cords and drove out the money changers, overturning their tables and scandalizing all of the religious leaders by telling them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. Of course, he was speaking of the temple of his own body. And he was referring to the crucifixion that would occur at their hands and about God raising him from the dead after he was in the grave for three days. John tells us that many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he was doing. Signs, by the way, is a term that John uses exclusively for miracles. Now, Nicodemus would have known and heard about all of these events. After all, he was a high-ranking Pharisee, intensely religious man, a professor of theology in the temple, a member of the Sanhedrin, a leader of the Jewish people, highly respected amongst all of his peers, and a man of impeccable moral integrity and character. Nicodemus came to Jesus by night, seeking to discover the truth about who Jesus really was, which is why we often refer to him as the patron saint of seekers. When you think about it, it's simply amazing that he would even come to Jesus at all because the Pharisees regarded themselves as superior to other men in terms of their spiritual status in relationship to God. Their lifelong quest was dedicated to keeping the law of God perfectly, hoping that in some way they could please God so that God would then show a favorable disposition toward them, which we know is impossible to do because no one can keep the law of God perfectly. So here we have this superior Pharisee coming to Jesus at night, possibly to avoid being seen by his fellow Pharisees who were already highly skeptical of this one Jesus of Nazareth, especially because of the huge spectacle that he'd created in their temple. All of which is to say that the Pharisees were watching him. 
They were watching him very, very closely, and to be sure, they were becoming a little more than concerned about his popularity among the people. Nicodemus was an inquirer, and as we all know, inquiring minds want to know more. John tells us that he began his inquiry with a rather courteous introduction. It goes like this, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Nicodemus recognized that Jesus was a successful teacher. How? Because in the mind of a Pharisee, the sign of a successful teacher was that he was capable of performing miracles. So from the get-go, Nicodemus approved of Jesus, but he was curious to know more about this man from Galilee. I think there are probably many, many people today who can relate fairly well to Nicodemus. Good, upstanding, respectable people, people who make a real contribution to life and society, even to their church. But then, how well do they really know Jesus? Like Nicodemus, many people are searching for something more out of life. They're in search of a deeper, more alive, more vital spiritual life. They're people who have a sincere desire and longing to come to know the heart of God, and they're people who have searching questions about many of life's most serious and most important issues. And they're looking for meaning and purpose. They're looking for direction, guidance, and fulfillment in their lives. They're people who are wanting to understand who God is and how God can become the, the central focus in their life and how they can begin to live for Him. Are you one of those people? Well, as with Nicodemus, when you experience an encounter with Jesus, it can throw your whole life into turmoil. For Nicodemus, a San Andreas-sized fault line stretched between what he professed in the daylight amongst all of his friends who were Pharisees and the Sanhedrin, and what he was wondering about and ruminating about at night. But as our friends in California would remind us, fault lines sometimes give way to earthquakes. And for Nicodemus, a gigantic seven and a half magnitude on the Richter scale-sized earthquake was about to shake his life, shake his Jewish faith, and turn his entire world upside down. So just what was it? What was it that precipitated this ground-shaking event in his life? Nicodemus assumed that his cordial and complimentary opening statement would guarantee that his conversation with Jesus would remain on his terms, that he'd be able to go home with all of his questions answered and get a good night's sleep. But no, there was just one hitch, and here it is. Whenever Jesus begins a sentence with these words, truly, truly, as he does three times in the opening 16 verses of John chapter 3, you know that he's about to make an extremely important point, one that you don't want to miss. We'll take a look at each of these three truly, truly statements that occur 
in today's gospel. Here's the first one, this earth-shattering event that Nicodemus was about to experience. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. John uses a very interesting word here. The Greek word is anothen, which has three distinct meanings. It can mean born again, as in born a second time. It can mean born anew, as in having a whole new, fresh beginning, a new start. It can mean born from above, namely from God, or better yet, something God must do for us. Nicodemus' immediate response to this statement is that of utter shock and astonishment. You can tell that he he took Jesus' statement about being born again quite literally by the statement he uses which immediately follows that. Here's his response. How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? So now he's clearly confused. What on earth is Jesus talking about? It makes no sense whatsoever. He is, as we might say, without his night vision goggles, lost in the dark. Jesus has this uncanny ability to look right into a person's heart. And with laser-like focus, he sees what's really going on inside of Nicodemus. And in essence, this is what he's saying. I know the problem you're having, Nicodemus. It's not that you're old and perhaps a little slow to understand. It's not that you're tired and worn out, though you probably are. It's not that your lectures at the Hebrew University have grown stale and dull. The problem is that you're no longer as close to God as you once were. You've slowly, slowly drifted away from Him. He's no longer living in the center of your heart and your life. You've become institutionalized by your strict adherence to the form of religion without the substance. You need to be born again, born anew. Jesus is saying, Nicodemus, you need to experience a rebirth in your relationship with God, a rebirth that only can come from God to you. This new birth that Jesus is talking about leads to the transformation of one's entire life. Nicodemus' life, your life, and my life. Far too often at different seasons in our lives, we may find ourselves gradually just sort of drifting away from our relationship with God. You can be a person who's 15 or 25 years old and experience this. 35 45, 55 years old, and experience the same thing. 65, 75, 85 years old. It really doesn't matter what age you are. Things just don't seem right. And you begin to sense that the relationship you once had with the Holy One is gradually slipping away. You just don't seem as close to Him as you once were. The spark just isn't there. Somehow you become sidetracked by the many distractions in your busy, busy life and all of the other priorities you have in your life. Your family, your career, your work, your pastimes, your hobbies, sporting activities and events, children's activities galore. And a weekend 
that's filled with more things to do than you could possibly ever have the time for. You've been stretched far too thin. Have you ever experienced a time in your life when your relationship with God didn't seem quite right? When it seemed to be disintegrating? When your prayer life and your reading and studying of God's holy word or even your worship experience had become more of a ritual than the real thing, more of a routine than a true, authentic, meaningful relationship with Jesus Christ? If so, then just like Nicodemus, Jesus has the ability to look right into your heart and mine and say, it's time for you to experience a fresh new beginning. It's time to be born again, born anew, born from above. When Nicodemus asked Jesus the question about how a man can be born when he's old, Jesus offers the second truly, truly statement. And here it is. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. So now, we find Jesus zeroing in on Nicodemus' misunderstanding of that term, born again, or born anew. He was telling Nicodemus that to see the kingdom of God, he would have to be born of both water and the Spirit. In other words, that to enter into the kingdom of heaven, one must be cleansed from their sin and regenerated by the power of the Holy Spirit. The water baptism of John the baptizer, the one that he was doing, a baptism for repentance, was just a precursor of that which was yet to come, namely a different kind of baptism and rebirth. The one that comes from above. The one that comes from the Holy Spirit. Like the one that occurred on that first Pentecost with the sound of a mushy, rushing mighty wind, flames of fire on the disciples' head, the disciples speaking in all kinds of foreign languages. The one that has occurred every day since that first Pentecost when 3,000 believers were baptized and received the Holy Spirit. Baptism, that outward washing with water, or as the prayer book defines it in the Catechism, that outward visible sign of an inward spiritual grace imparted by God as a gift or as a way in which we receive that grace, is for us also just a precursor. It's just the beginning. Just the beginning of the commitment we're called upon to make later on. The first time it happened, if we were infants, happened because our parents and our godparents said the vows for us. But later on as teens or as young adults or at any time, any time in the course of our lives when led by the Spirit, and that's the key, led by the Spirit, we publicly confess our faith and we turn our hearts and lives over to Jesus Christ. In other words, in other words, when we are to use Jesus' words, born again, born anew, or born from above, it's not just a once and done enterprise. 
It's not just one more item you can check off your list of things I need to accomplish in life. It's not just a making sure you've gotten your ticket punched experience. In Romans, St. Paul tells us that if you confess with your lips that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Translation, if you've been baptized, that's only the beginning. What follows is a life in the faith whereby you ultimately come to that place where with the power and indwelling of the Holy Spirit, you're able to make a public profession of your faith and your life takes on a whole new direction, whole new meaning, whole new purpose. Nicodemus didn't have uh, anything to do with being born and neither do any of us. And now, here in his old age, he was being told that there was absolutely Nothing he could do to be born anew either. No matter how many good deeds he'd done, and I'm sure he'd done many, no matter how perfectly he'd been able to keep the commandments of God, no matter how righteous a life he had lived, and he was a righteous Pharisee, none of that would ever be able to get him into the kingdom of God. The false belief that we can earn our way into heaven by all the good we do is still alive and well in many, many people today. Nicodemus was up against the eternal problem that as much as a person may desire to be changed in their heart, they cannot change themselves. It's all completely the work of the Holy Spirit. St. Paul reminds us that no one can even say that Jesus Christ is Lord, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus then uses an image from nature to try to make his point absolutely clear with Nicodemus. He says, The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound. But you do not know where it comes from, and you do not know where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. There's a real play on words here, you know. The Greek word for wind is panoima. The Greek word for spirit is panoima. Same word. Just as Justin discussed last week in his Pentecost sermon, the same word for spirit and the same word for wind are identical in the Hebrew. The word is ruach, wind and spirit. Same word. It's as though Jesus were saying you cannot control the wind any more than you can control the Spirit. But Nicodemus, well, he's still struggling to understand this. He's still befuddled. And now, in utter frustration, he throws his hands up in the air and he exclaims, how can this possibly be? Jesus' level of frustration, by the way, has risen as well. In exasperation, he says to Nicodemus, are you a teacher of Israel and still you don't understand this? And then here is the third, truly, truly. As Jesus attempts to explain things in terms that he hopes Nicodemus is finally going to understand. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know, and we bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. 
If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how in the world can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? When we are born anew in the Spirit, a radical change begins to occur within us. Within us, Our spirit, which was once dead to God, is made alive by the Holy Spirit who now dwells inside of us. What begins on the inside by the power of the Holy Spirit, that invisible spark that ignites a fire within us to renew us and to energize us, suddenly becomes increasingly visible where? On the outside, in the way that we live, and the changes that we begin to make in our lives. When the Spirit is living within us, we will want to live for Christ. That is, we will want to have the very mind of Christ in us and to live the way that Christ wants us to live. And when that begins to happen, people are going to obviously see a difference. People are going to begin to see that the fruit of the Spirit is beginning to be unleashed in us. As St. Paul describes that fruit in Galatians chapter 5 as love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, people will begin to see those attributes just coming out of us in our daily life. This new birth requires both the work of God and our response. God, our Heavenly Father, took the initiative by sending His own Son to bear the wrath for our sins. The Holy Spirit then opens our hearts to understanding that the perfect Son of God had to die in our place so that we would not perish, but instead that we would have life eternal. Just as Moses lifted up the bronze serpent on the pole in the wilderness so that the snake-bitten children of Israel might look upon it and be healed and be saved from those poisonous snake bites, God's Son was lifted high upon a cross so that all who would look to Him would be healed from the snake bite of their sins and live forever. John Stott writes, In His love, God went so far as to give up His one and only Son. God's love could not be greater. He could not love more. To behold Jesus is to behold the heart of God poured out in love for all mankind. Our response in faith is to believe in who Jesus really is and what He did on our behalf. When we see our sin as a great offense against God, and when we realize that Jesus is our only hope, it's then that we will come to to rely fully and completely upon Him for forgiveness and redemption and eternal life. It's only through the Holy Spirit that we can come to that realization and be born anew. During the darkest hours of World War I, a war that claimed lives of thousands and thousands of English sons, a man took his little boy out for a walk one night. The boy asked his father why so many of the houses that they passed by in their town had stars painted in their windows. Those come from this terrible war, the father explained. They represent that the people inside those houses have given up a son 
to the war. Well, they walked a little bit farther, and then the young boy stopped, and he pointed up into the sky where he noticed a bright evening star that had just appeared. And he said, Daddy, God must have given up a son, too. God must have given up a son, too. And there it is, in a nutshell. The truth about the God who poured out his heart of love for each and every one of us in the terrible war against sin, death, and the power of the devil, God gave up his Son, his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for loving us so much that you gave up your Son to die for us. Fill us and empower us with your Holy Spirit so that we might be infused with the mind of Christ and become the people that you created and intended for us to become. Men and women who are truly born again, born anew, born from above. Yes born out of your heart of love for each one of us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.